everything is a stay level, so it's super fractured. Um, uh, we currently operate, so uh, Oregon and California, both both completely recreational, both actually use the same compliance systems, which is great. Um, uh, but you have little minutia. So like details about labeling and packaging compliance that are, that are, that are super different. So from a operating a business standpoint, there's, there's so much room for improvement. And then the, the, the federal dynamics and the, uh, people that are still in jail for, for what we do every day dynamics are obviously there's massive leaps and bounds to be taken there, but, uh, it's super fragmented. There are 50 sets of rules. The rules is the short answer to that question in the United States, right? Is, so, so is it only the kind of this year you've really started to do the whole Colin Lanfoss thing? Yeah, I've always kind of wanted to and didn't for a lot of reasons. And so I just said, fuck it, let's go. Let's ride on the internet and here we are. So you, so, so did you kind of start with the whole Twitter stuff last year as well then? Yeah, it was like really at the end of the year, like beginning of this year, I guess. And yeah, it's all just writing really threads, I guess. Yeah. You know? And just talking about weed. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, I had to settle into being a weed, a weed guy. Honestly, I've been doing this for coming up on five years now, like professionally. And in this, um, in this light, and, uh, I don't know for a long time, I just didn't want to be put in the weed box for yes. whatever reason. And, uh, finally leaned in, but really early on when I started really doing Twitter, uh, a big part of what I was doing was basketball cards actually. I just, I knew if I was going to do it, I needed something that I could just pretty much talk endlessly about yeah. and, uh, basketball cards were that thing. And I think that helped me kind of ease into talking about weed when I was a little reluctant to. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a subculture, isn't there? That that's, that's the thing that surrounds weed. In fact, it was one of the things I wanted to talk about later on, but it's kind of come up already that there's this kind of two different markets right now at least in the in in the west and you know in america it's all becoming legalized and it's it's almost becoming like like beer i guess in, in the uk still illegal but you know most people smoke it so it's there's still still a bit of the subculture you know Br british people still go to amsterdam to you know, ex the weed experience. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the legal weed experience and you can be a bit of a connoisseur and all that kind of thing, but it's changing in America, isn't it? And do you think that maybe in another couple of years time, the subculture is, is just going to have disappeared and it's just going to be like, I don't know, like craft ale or something like that. You know, I think that's an interesting way to, to look at it. No, I don't. I think if you look at what craft craft beer is like, that's beer culture, right? Like a lot of, especially like the proliferation of micro brews, even in the case where they aren't necessarily micro brews, but you know, the, the big uh, beer uh, brand houses doing brands that are really focused on the micro brew culture. Uh, that's because that's the beer culture and big or small beer culture is beer culture. And I think it's very similar in cannabis. Um, if, if we fast forwarded 50 years, I'd put good money on, on the biggest brands in cannabis being the brands that were born out of the weed culture. Um, I think a, a lot of the big companies are talking about normalizing. Uh, a lot of brands are, are going after the soccer mom or the hypothetical soccer mom. And of course that consumer is there, but people that smoke weed smoke weed. Um, and, and that's a pretty big market and the, the alcohol parallel uh, would prove that, right? You've got these, you know, the wine spritzers and all these things, but people that drink beer, drink beer, and they aren't afraid to buy a beer brand, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, it does. But I, I kind of think that with, with, the, with beer, at least in the UK, with the way it is now, you've, you've kind of got the, you've got the connoisseurs, the, the craft people, um, and, and they are, 
usually not really part of the the beer subculture, if, if you will. That a lot a lot of them don't drink to excess. They're not at least in the UK. You know the sure. lad culture, that kind of thing. It, you're only drinking to get drunk. You you know it's all about getting larry and getting crazy and that kind of thing. A lot right. of it, it's it's almost like a a wine thing, I guess. So there there is even streams of it in in the beer culture. I noticed a lot of the kind of premium stuff that you've got. It look it looks nothing. It, it, it's like I don't know. It's almost it almost looks like a spa product. Some of it, you know, it, it's really far away from the. You go to Amsterdam or something like that. You go into a dingy bar. There's stickers all over the walls, the floors, the tables. There, there's a bit of a dingy kind of feel to it. A, a Pepe type thing, you know, wild Pepe right. type. It's, it feels like there'll be streams of it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think the booze comparison only goes so far and, and almost works better. If you go into, like you just said, go specifically compare to wine or specifically to beer rather than looking across the whole thing. I think you're referencing Cabana, which Cabana has a huge place in my heart and, and in the market. But if you look at our brands, uh, Corova is our 800 pound gorilla and Corova is, is the latter, right? Um, it, it's not light fluffy and, uh, or any of those things. It's, it's the opposite side of the spectrum. And with that, it's our, it's our biggest brand. It's a powerhouse on the West coast. And I think if you look at the biggest brands in cannabis so far, like cookies in my eyes is probably the biggest the biggest brand and cookies is like born on genetics and, and breeding and the strains and out of rap culture. Um, and, and I think that that's how it's going to materialize. There will be a big place for, for lighter brands and more lifestyle brands. But, uh, I think for a long, long time to come, it's, it's going to be dingy, so to speak. Uh, and, and a big part of that is like, look, you can, uh, no matter what the brand you can, you can pick up an extract and put it in your dab rig and, and have this much more intense uh, cannabis experience than grab a pre-roll and smoke a pre-roll. So there's a big spectrum within any of these brands. And uh, just because it is more ingrained in the culture, doesn't mean it needs to be uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It doesn't, doesn't mean it needs to be kind of binge and heavy, 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 heavy usage oriented. Um, uh, I use cannabis often. I'm not a dabber, right? Yeah. I guess the biggest thing I'm getting at is that, as with a lot of these things, it's not not just not just weed, not just beer. We're talking about clothing, fashion, marketing, any kind of thing. You know, um, when it be, when it goes mainstream, it's not really cool anymore, is it? Uh, and how how do you battle that? to keep it cool and um, kind of underground and a subculture when it isn't a subculture anymore. It's just mainstream. That's that's the marketing, isn't it? Right, right, absolutely. I mean, in terms of our approach to that, it is to bring the the culture and the subculture to the market and and to the masses. So, you know, uh, uh, mass market Corova doesn't look different from... Uh, from today's Corova or yesterday's Corova, if that makes sense. Uh, I would argue that it's actually getting deeper um, in, in service of what I was just saying, that we we believe that the culture uh, is the future. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do, do you, um, do you really know anything about the UK market or anything? Where do you see that going? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't. I get, occasionally I get a tweet talking about how different it is over there. Um, I don't, I don't know enough to speak to it. Tell me about it. Give me the elevator pitch on, on legality over there. Well, so I'll, I'll preface it by saying, you know, I'm, I'm not mega into weed or anything like that. I usually go, usually go to Amsterdam, maybe once, twice a year. Um, I'm a designer. I run a design agency. I'm, obviously very into branding and marketing and things like that and a lot of the kind of the the weed subculture speaks to a lot of the things that i i'm kind of in and and that goes for a lot of people it's kind of a a design marketing subculture is very similar to the weed subculture um 
But in terms of the legalities, and it, well, the, you can't get it legal. Well, medicinal, I believe medicinal marijuana in pill form is available, but I don't know anybody who has it. Um, right. So everybody, so it's still it's still illegal, and they, they've they've relaxed the laws somewhat. They increase the amount of uh, you know the amount of weed you can get caught with, so you don't go to prison. And um, the laws are fairly lax around that. It's not kind of the situation in some parts of the U.S. where uh, the whole th- three strikes and you're out situation where you, you're going to prison for years. It's not like that in the U.K., but there is still absolutely a stigma around it. Um. Which is stupid, really, when you consider the whole beer culture and everything in in the UK. Um, we're absolute monsters at that kind of thing. World, <laughs> world, you know, world renowned. So it, it it it's strange. So it doesn't. If you talk to most people, especially of my age, you know, thirties kind of age, it, it's not it's not really a stigma anymore. But because it's illegal, it still is a bit of a stigma because there's no. There's literally no legal way to get it. So, right. You know, it, that sounds pretty. I think there are a lot of states in, in the U.S. that are in that um, kind of in that sort of mode right now. And really, uh, early uh, decriminalization on even the West Coast states. So, in Oregon and California, there have been some sort of medical and or de- medical programs and or decriminalization, excuse me. Um, for 20, 25 years now, right? And the very first versions of that were what you just said. Great, we're not going to throw you in jail anymore. Um, and here's this uh, here's this form that it's legal in that may not be viable. Uh, you know, there's not secrets about what's actually happening there, but at, at the very least, you know, we're not going to lock you up. The, the interesting thing that we have in the States is, is just the contrast between the uh, the recreational states, especially on the West coast and then the South um, where some of what I put on the internet, which is just like the reality of the West coast is like so alien to people that are not very far away um, that are, you know, a handful of States away um, to the tune of, you know, people still getting uh, thrown in jail for a joint. uh, One single joint. One single joint. Yeah, I think like very, very recently we've like finally crossed uh, again the 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 regulation and the the legalization across states is not exactly my area of expertise, but but very, very recently we've gotten away from from that type of anecdote um, being true. But that being said, one of the tricky parts about this is you could pass you could pass the best laws in the world tomorrow, and you've still got people locked up spending, uh, spending years in prison from something from yesterday or last year or, or a few years ago. And the, the contrast between that is, is crazy. Obviously you have the, there's, there's big racial trends around that, um, with a lot of that coming out of the South. Um, but, uh, that aside, it's just, uh, it's super bizarre to be, uh, speaking the same language in the same country, you know, uh, a couple thousand miles from people that think that what we do is alien. Like I, I take my two-year-old daughter for a walk, um, with our dogs and I walk by weed stores every day. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty normal here at this point. And, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a weird, uh, one of the byproducts of state regulation versus federal. Is, is there really anything else still like that? I can't Good think question. of anything. I can't think yeah. of anything. You know, so so many of the other decisions that states are allowed to make, uh, states are have like heavy incentives to uh, align them with the federal. Uh, one that comes to mind is is like traffic and speeding. I, I don't know the details of this, so I probably shouldn't be talking about it. But here we are. But I, I think that like <laughs> I think there are large federal. Um, uh, funding that get taken away if you set your speed limit at, at 120 miles an hour for like roads. Right. right. And that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I wonder if there's anything as fractured as marijuana laws. I I, th- I think it, it's not just the law though, is it? It's the same thing that's going on in the UK It's the stigma that's attached to it. And it's, it, it it's the culture and it's yeah. everything else that surrounds it. So when you're, in the UK, 
You know, we, we've got a parliament. It's full of majority 50-plus, you know, middle-aged men who... White guys. Yeah, yeah. White, white guys. Don't, they, they don't touch any of this kind of thing. They're, they're all yeah. brought up in two or three schools in the UK, which look like Hogwarts. And <laughs> they're, they're the, like so far removed from just normal life. And, right. we, and weed is, is a tiny bit of that. I mean, I'm not even talking just normal life of walking to the shop to buy, I don't know, a pint of milk. They're so right. far removed. Just being a normal person. Right? Yeah, they're, they're just... Yeah far removed away from anything so it's this it's the same in america so then the, these these guys at the top they're making these laws and they they want to stay in power obviously so they don't want to they don't want to rock the boat and weed or you know wider decriminalization of any drug is a is a topic that none of them want to touch because they just go anywhere near that it's it's political suicide you're gonna always have half of the people maybe depending on where you are more than half or less than half just hating you because of the thing that you're saying even you got all the sense in the world you got all the reports in the world the white papers whatever they've never experienced it so they don't get it so yeah it's just gonna stay like that we've obviously experienced that fairly recently in the uk with brexit and and all that kind of thing where it really it really showed up divisions in the UK of something that, to be honest, really means nothing. It right. really means nothing on either side. And that's a much smaller thing than legalizing a drug. It, I, I, I just can't see, for me in the UK, I can't see it changing for um, a long time. We, we've got a conservative government in, in power at the minute. That they've been in power for a decade I just can't see it changing to be to be perfectly honest. There's just it isn't just the weed legalization, is it? It's everything else. Right, it represents a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz how do you change that? That that just yeah. needs to be changed over decades, centuries. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where where where's next for it? I mean, is it kind of 100% legal? in the places where where you are now or are the regulations different everywhere it does is there further progress still to be made uh there's a truckload and so i guess kind of bringing it home for me in terms of united states wise so everything is the state level so it's super fractured um uh, we currently operate so uh, oregon and california both both completely recreational, both actually use the same compliance systems, which is great. Um, uh, but you have little minutia. So like details about labeling and packaging compliance that are, that are, that are super different. So from a operating a business standpoint, there's, there's so much room for improvement. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the federal dynamics and the, uh, people that are still in jail for, for what we do every day dynamics are obviously there's massive leaps and bounds to be taken there, but uh, it's super fragmented. There are 50 sets of rules. The rules is the short answer to that question in the United States. Right. So you, so you need to make slightly different packaging, slightly different products for every state. Yeah. Day to day operations wise, like that's one of the most challenging things in addition to right. Uh, it can't cross state lines, but literally the, the similar, but different element of every single product line we do. So I think we have like 25 to 30 product lines, um, live in, in both of those two Oregon and California markets at any given time. And, uh, we, we work very hard to make those uh, make components and packaging, et cetera, state agnostic every time we possibly can. And it's just still few and far between, um, you know, because uh, this regulation says you have to have this symbol on this component. This one says you don't have to have it. And since it's this ugly state warning symbol, like we're not, you know, we're not going to put it there or, or Oregon in California. Right. So here, I got this in front of me. So here's the uh, Oregon universal symbol. Um, here's the, do I have it? So I, I assume that symbol means warning there is weed inside this product. Exactly. That's exactly what it means. I guess I don't have it here, but, but that symbol. So even if our rule is great, you have to have 
the warning symbol in this one spot on the package. Great. There's the Oregon one. California one looks different. Um, and that would probably be an oversimplification of the kinds of things that we deal with. You know, you have child resistance. So everything in California has to be child resistant out the door. Uh, it doesn't in Oregon. It, in Oregon, it has to leave the store in a child resistant container. Um, but it doesn't have to, uh, the container itself that the joint is in, for example, doesn't have to be child resistant. Um, it, it's super fragmented. It, it definitely makes for uh, additional challenges on top of just the general challenges of consumer packaged goods and, and brands and packaging and all that fun stuff. Well, yeah, because obviously the, the thing that you're ultimately looking for, you know, a lot of these, uh, you need the volume, right? So a lot of these things you want to simplify, systemize, ideally one version of the packaging, one version of the product, sell it to as many people as possible, pump loads of money into the marketing. We all win then. Well, you yep. win. You win, not right. me. Right. But, right. <laughs> uh, but you can't even do that, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at what's in front of me here. And so I was, here you've got the California warnings and the California Prop 65. Does that say and warning cancer? Yes, that's a Prop 65 warning that's on like just about everything in California, <laughs> um, not just cannabis. Um, but yeah, so that's a California warning. So this box, right? Uh, you can't do it in California without that warning. But this box, we wouldn't want to use this in, in Oregon or, or Arizona or something because it's got a California-specific warning on it. Um, this is the label. Um, this is the label for Oregon. that's got the Oregon verbiage, very similar, but this word for word has to be on anything in Oregon. So like a similar version of it that also works in California isn't going to fly. And I think that maybe my favorite one is, this is the crow of a cow on the top of this eighth jar. Um, I'm trying to describe this for somebody that's not watching us. So that's the crow of a cow. You can see it's got a human eye in its forehead. It's a clockwork orange reference. Yes. Um, that cow is a California compliant cow. It is not an organ compliant cow. So the, the organ crow of a cow has bovine eyes, not human eyes. It does not have an eye in its forehead and it is not wearing a hat. It's just got a nice little cow comb over. <laughs> Um, and so, so the cap of the eighth jar is different across markets. Um, but why to explain that to me, what, what, which uh, the, bit of that rules. is illegal, which bit of that is the illegal? rules. So, so, uh, the Oregon rules have, uh, uh, some lines in them about, uh, uh, in the category of like appealing to children about usage of animal, um, usage of animal characters, um, Oh, and so the issue there was that the, this cow combines, it, it has like human characteristics. It's wearing a hat. The, um, and then the eyes are human eyes and not bovine eyes. Uh, that email threads still to this day is one of the most ridiculous email threads I've been on going back and forth with the state about the, the haircut and the eyes on the, the crow of a cow. But it, it's a kind of funny example of what we deal with every day. I was thinking it was some kind of uh, Droog reference or something like that. You're not allowed to put Droogs on there. You're not allowed no, to any right. reference to Clockwork Orange because it is fiercely offensive. Um, <laughs> it, but it's much more simple than that. You, it's, they've right. got to be both. It's, much, it's just animal characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are, there are plenty of references to Clockwork Orange on, on all of our stuff, on all the Corova stuff. So, do, so do the, does the department have some kind of bovine eye? expert or animal eye expert or something the you know the eye shape thing was a curveball uh, i don't <laughs> i don't know uh you know taking the eye out of the forehead or taking the hat fair enough uh the uh the type of eye definitely was a, a curveball but i mean yeah so that's they, that's good they, I, i'm just you know, i'm just flabbergasted i was just uh, just about to ask a <laughs> A follow-up thing, because obviously, like I said, I'm a designer. You, you, right. you now need, and I'm holding my hair back here for anybody watching the podcast, you, you now need specific, like, cannabis designers. Or you need somebody with experience to hopefully try and not come across these ridiculous situations again. Ideally, you need somebody with experience of the cannabis ind industry in California to remember that 
they, they've got to be animalized or not animalized and, and it can't wear a hat and all that kind yeah. of thing. How do you make any yeah. money on this shit? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Amen. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so, so something that's been an evolution of, of the Crova brand as we've, you know, taken it to other states is, uh, so one of the common marks we use now, we call internally the trippy cow and it's a, it's a cow silhouette, um, with kind of these trippy waves through it. And so that like for us, it's like, okay, let's, let's start using these marks that avoid the conversation altogether, knowing that, okay, we had an organ issue. Uh, you know, we might have another state issue. Uh, how do we get a mark or a version of X or a version of Y that will generally avoid that kind of issue? Um, because it's reasonable, uh, it's reasonable that like a, a animal caricature, uh, you know, will probably pop up in other regulations too, or, you know, you know, the federal reg regulations ultimately. So, uh, just kind of like positioning the brands around, around those things is, is one approach. And then in just in general, it just leads to duplicate. It's like the, you know, market X version of, of everything. And really there's only so much you can do. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's definitely sticky. Yeah, it's, that, that's what I was thinking. It's a little bit like what happened. Well, it's nowhere near as extreme as, as this, but maybe if the wrong conversations happen in government, it might get to this. The, in, in the UK a couple of years back, quite a couple of years back now, um, they've been trying to stop people from smoking for a very long time. You know, Tobacco, real, mm -hmm. real deadly cancer smoking. Actual um, problems. Yeah, and... They tried lots of things. We had all these horrible, and they're still on the packaging now, these horrible messages with horrible pictures, you know, rotted lungs and people's black teeth and all this kind of thing. Now it's gone a step further. So this was in, I think it was in the last five or 10 years. Nobody's allowed branding on the packaging anymore. So the, the packaging is completely brandless and they're locked away in a cupboard um, in in the place where they usually sell them. So you're not allowed to display them anymore. They are behind a shuttered thing, and you have to just go into the shop and request the cigarettes that you want. Um, they have completely wow. removed all power to the to the brands, basically. And you know, a lot of tobacco companies are pretty scummy, so I, I'm I'm not really sad for them. But right, right. But I, I, I just, I, it just got me thinking. It's like the, these kind yeah. of bovine eye thing, and it, it, is that really maybe where things could end up turning the other way? Yes, you can sell it in every state in in the U.S. now, but yes, you've got to comply with these one thousand and fifty nine regulations that basically allow you to put nothing on there but some text. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, that's not where it lands. And I, I think that, given that there are state regulations and frameworks in place, um, you know, the worst thing that the feds could do is say, Hey, here's, here's how you got to do it. If you want to ship it and, and take it across state lines, and uh, in which case you have a, a, you know, a 51st set of rules to, to, uh, know about and, and work around, but yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I think any doing this means we're ready for some unknown and ready for problem solving. So, uh, bring it right. And still, despite all this, right? What's what's the millions, the million number that you've put on Twitter recently that you're due to make? Oh, uh, I mean, so any any numbers I put out are kind of what is you know what we're publicly <laughs> stating in our press releases. But I think our our uh, our guidance for this year is seventy million, and that is uh, that is prior to yesterday. Yesterday we announced our acquisition of uh, Peoples in Orange County, uh, as well as some additional licenses and locations. And uh, we're, we're expecting that acquisition to do 60 uh, next year um, with, with those stores uh, on top of the other things we've got going on. So uh, the People's Orange County store is, I don't, you know, not every store is, shares their numbers, so I don't know. It's one of the biggest in, in California. It's certainly one of the most visible and prominent, uh, just like in the, the mind's eye of the consumer in Southern California. Um, and it sees a thousand customers a day. So, um, big numbers coming out of that store alone. So it's like the Apple store or something of, of that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, not aesthetically, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it churns. I was doing the math actually yesterday. So a thousand a day on a, 
on a 14 hour day is like every 70 seconds, somebody is, is checking out with their product. So definitely, definitely, uh, serving the people. It's, it, it, it's insane, especially as I said, it's just that market is zero essentially in, in the UK right now to see something right. we, we share so much. Well, I share so much with somebody like you. I share so much with America to see this huge difference yeah. it, it is is just insane. It, it's yeah. just it's just really bizarre. We both speak English. We both got the same cultural references. We both, right. you know, it, it's it's just it's just crazy. I, yeah, and, and it I, is. I mean, it is. And like like I said, that that's what's been the most eye opening thing about talking about what I do on the internet has been realizing that I share that kind of contrast with people that are in the United States too. Um, it's bizarre. How, how has it gone down on Twitter? Now, now you've kind of got, got over your, your fear of being, being the weed guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a lot of work, man. Um, I think what I'm doing is, uh, you, you know, the drill. Um, I think it, it's, uh, anybody that's doing what I'm doing kind of deals with imposter syndrome and, and crosses that, that bridge of like, okay, I'm really going to put myself out there like this. I'm going to, I'm going to write about what I'm thinking. And, uh, so I don't think it's super different from that, but I've, I've had a blast doing it. It's super rewarding. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. I really like your, I, I think I drink a, probably a similar flavor Kool-Aid as, as you do, um, with, with what you talk about with just kind of letting it rip. Mm. Um, I, I really like kind of your, your thinking around that. And I think that, uh, arriving at that, at that place has been critical for me because it's so easy to start overthinking every, every single, in my case, every word and, and every tweet, and then like looking at the numbers that it does and, and all this, this type of stuff. And, um, yeah. yeah, it's been a journey. It's fun. I, I, I was there, man. And yeah. to, to a smaller extent, a lot smaller extent than what kind of things you're doing. I'm the public face for my company. Right. Uh, so, so you do, you do overthink everything that you say. And yeah. when I started doing it last February, 2020, despite being a designer for 14 years before that, never really put myself out online, ran the agency for 11 years as well. Never really said much online. It was, it, it was quite scary. Cause you do, you do think that every single letter or word that you're going to say is going to be scrutinized. And you, you, do, yep. you, you always, at least what I felt like, I felt like I was always one bad tweet away from ruining the company or, right. or something like that. Right. I, I was going to say something fucking stupid or I was going to swear <laughs> yeah. like that. And that was going to be the end of it. Yeah. Um, and it, it took me, it took me a long time to, to realize that one, when I was doing that, I was overthinking everything. And, it was making the things I was saying fucking boring. Um, but because and weird too. Yeah. And weird. Yeah. Right. And, it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And weird. Like all those Twitter nerds, right. You know, yeah. All, yeah. All, all those people with hundreds of thousands of followers that say nothing. And I, some, somebody called them Twitter artists to me. That's probably the best way I've heard of describing it. Um, and then it's just it's just really hard work. You're just overthinking everything. I, I, I you know I've got a full time job. I do I do this on an evening or on a night or or whatever. It's seven p.m. now over here. I, I don't want it to be hard work. So I want this to be fun. Uh, right. With a side dish of okay, it helps promote me, which helps. How promote, do, yeah. Right. How yeah. Do, yeah. Totally. Which helps promote but, the agency. Yeah, I think that's kind of become, I mean, I guess my approach and how I think about it is evolving pretty much every day. But, um, for me, I've always liked writing and, you know, professionally, not professionally, what that means, like, as I sit here as an adult is like email, that's when I write. And yeah. so for me, it's been like, okay, well, let's go right over here. And, uh, you know, the work is writing, which is work, you know, uh, but if you're going to go and sit down and write a thousand word piece, that's, that's, uh, you know, cohesive and well-constructed and maybe add some value to somebody that's absolutely work, but I, I enjoy that. And, uh, I get a lot of value out of it myself from just like thinking through these things and structuring them. 
And then for me, I, I throw a, uh, once the writing is done, I do a dash of like, great. How do I make the, how do I make this hook? And how do I make this something where when you see it at first glance, it's like, oh yes, I want to read that because that last little dash can, can obviously make a big difference. Um, and for me, as long as I'm putting the energy, as long as I'm putting 95% of the energy into uh, doing the work and doing the writing itself, um, I kind of like where it ends up and, and kind of contrary to this point, uh, I think it's really interesting to see I'm a marketer, uh, at heart. And it's really interesting to see what does resonate with people. Um, and particularly for me, uh, how it resonates, right? Like, uh, you talk a lot about not getting caught up in the numbers, which amen, I, I find it super interesting to see like, okay, this resonated, but it created this kind of action. This, uh, you know, this caught attention, but it didn't do the other thing. Yes. Uh, in, in those types of dynamics. So I, I think a lot about that. And I, at least I tell myself that I'm not overthinking the, uh, the, the numbers involved in it. But um, for me, it's like, what, what type of material that I do um, engages versus brings people to me that want more of it. Yes. Um, and, and that type of thing. Right. Because I think that as soon as you've got some momentum on, on Twitter, you could do platitudes and get a bunch of likes all day long. But I've, for me, finding the differences between the stuff that gets those likes versus uh, brings people to me that click the follow button that, that want more that comment. This is so great. I put this, I put this to use. Thanks for doing it. Do more of it. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of the, the line that I walk. There's, there's always a battle between the two. There's always the mm -hmm. battle between, I want to write something that people will like or retweet or share and then there's also the battle with I want to be myself and I want to represent myself correctly. And those two things don't often quite line up because some, sometimes you might have to remove some of the personality to make it more shareable. Or sometimes you might have to amp up the personality to make it yeah. get, get more likes. It, Add a little bit of cringe in there to yeah, yeah. I, the the one that the one that I think of immediately is your pin tweet with the you know the two the two bags are yeah. you know two, right. two huge bags, um, so th there is always that battle that, that's going on when you're doing it. I'm, I'm the same. I'm a marketer first, more than pretty much anything else, other than a designer, and I, I, I was getting very caught up in in the numbers and the engagement because I come from that background and because I do it with clients every single day. I assumed right. that that was the way that I should be doing it for myself too. And it, it was a huge wake-up call for me when I realized that as I focused more on the numbers and the engagement, I was getting I was getting the followers faster. But what I discovered is the people that were following me were just other designers. And I, I don't give a fuck about designers following me. <laughs> I, I want potential right. clients or I want to make friends with people that might lead to something interesting further down the line if designers are following me to get design tips or just because they find me inspirational it, it, it doesn't serve me in any way so that was a big point a big stick in the mud for me to go fuck it i need to and the phrase I use was destroy my audience. So right. I, I, I just turned the whole 180 degrees, almost 100% stop talking about design and marketing, very occasionally talk about it, and fiercely be myself first because it's, the, it's the, one of the most valuable things I ever got from Gary Vaynerchuk. And Gary Vaynerchuk is a bit cringy, but he's got a lot of good marketing advice. I, I agree completely. Yep. Uh, and it was be your own TV channel. I've said this so many times on podcasts. Be your own TV channel. And the whole idea of that is everything you make shines a light on you first. It doesn't even really matter what it is that, you, that you're doing. Just having a conversation like we're having now, it builds awareness and content around you, which ultimately makes you more interesting, which ultimately makes more people want to work with you. And that's the play that's worked best for me and the play that I enjoy the most to to the point where I have lots of pointless things on the outside that look pointless versus things that do quite well like this podcast. But it, it all builds a bigger picture about, about me and my personality. And that's what I think is most important. And that's what some people tend to miss, I think, when 
they think, right, I'm going to start a Twitter account. I want to get 70,000 followers. Now all you're known is for a person who's got a big Twitter account. They don't see you as a human um, a lot of the time. You've got to be so damn careful trying to turn you into a human you're not marketing yeah. a product. You, you market. Yeah, no, it's a person. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's kind of going back to that. I was like, I could do a bunch of platitudes and probably get a bunch of likes, but then the the, the thing that people are engaging with are like these shitty platitudes. Yeah. Uh, not, not me. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I also think like any doing this is a massive investment. Like I, I plan to continue investing on in this for years to come. And if I'm going to do that, I need to set myself up for success and being me is like the easiest way to be successful at that. I think, uh, early on kind of in my Twitter push, I had, um, uh, you know, people always talk about the people you meet. I had somebody that maybe you may not be familiar with them, but he's, he's big in the like entrepreneurship Twitter realm. Um, and, and I like him and uh, we're DMing and he was like, you know, you really shouldn't say weed. Um, it's, it's not professional. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. And I, and I thought about it and, uh, cause initially I was like, okay, I like tweaked my bio or something. I think I say cannabis in my bio now, but whatever, that's beside the point. Mm. My, as soon as I thought about it, I was like, I have never claimed to be professional (laughs) and I'm not going to (laughs) start. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start today. Right. Um, but that, that was just a, a big turning point for me that it's like, like, like I'm not, you know, like you can probably go find that person. Uh, it's not me. Um, and that's a key part of this being sustainable and me having a blast with it. Cause I think at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, sharing a bunch of stuff, having people like it is, is fun. Um, just the act of doing it and bullshitting with people and, <laughs> and ending up on this call. Like that's, that's actually the fun part and the rewarding part. And, uh, that works better for everybody. If I'm just kind of like openly, openly me. Fucking thousand percent amen i you know this this fucking thing about professionalism (laughs) fucking rankles me so much because professionalism is the way that you do your job professionalism is how good you are at your job how how good you deliver the things that you say you're going to deliver professionalism is how you know if i said to you i am going to make you uh a new brand and I deliver an excellent new brand. That is professionalism. If we fuck around on the calls, that doesn't matter. That that is right. not professionalism. Professionalism is right. the product that ends up getting delivered. Whereas some people conflate professionalism with the fact that you need to wear a tux all the time, or as we were saying, you need to turn up with a professional kit every time. It isn't professionalism. That's fake for professionalism. Yep that doesn't show you the person that you're dealing with. Uh, yep. And people by people, no matter what industry you're in, it's a terrible cliche, but it's it's goddamn true. I, I hate that kind, that kind of attitude. It doesn't even say I'm a designer in my profile. It doesn't even say I've got my own agency. It, it just, it, it's got some stupid troll thing at the top of it. And that, that that's all it says. Because <laughs> I, I, I want people to come in and, see me and learn about me and then maybe they'll find those things out later on i i i'm the same i, I don't profess to be professional i did it right. i did a, a talk in front of 50 business people in a room the other night and i talked about terminator for half an hour and it was about <laughs> it was about branding and you know what everybody right. fucking loved it right because right. It, it wasn't a boring presentation about branding it made a serious point but right right professional yeah professionalism is is not a style of delivery that anybody should ever want to do it's just not natural the stupid thing is as well if the person you're talking about if you would have gone for a beer with him to a bar or something he wouldn't have been that same person those those kind of people i i really don't like whether they have a business persona and a a personal persona it's weird to me it doesn't hit right yeah, I agree. I kind of had a, so we're, we're publicly traded now and it's been a month since we officially closed and what, five months since, since it was announced. And I had a, a moment of existential crisis as this is happening, which of course has always been the end goal. Um, but I'm just starting to get in the groove and do this Twitter thing and put myself out there. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh my, Oh my God. Like there's this huge additional layer of scrutiny in reality, probably mostly from myself. Um, but absolutely I'm publishing things on the internet. 
um, uh, as an executive in a public company and da, 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 and worry, worry, worry. And, um, I, I definitely had this moment of like, should I just stop doing this, um, yeah. to avoid that altogether, which is tricky. And, and I, I obviously think about it every day at this point, the, the advice I got was, look, everything you say, consider, um, how that affects Frank, our CEO's ability to interact with investors. And I, I think that was a really good lens to look at it with. Um, and I'm, I'm sure maybe I, I tote the line when I'm, uh, uh, when I'm, I'm just kind of like tweeting my thoughts about business or something, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's like, how does this affect, um, uh, our ability to interact with shareholders and investors and probably for most things, it doesn't. Um, and, uh, if, if you have, if I ever come up on that, I just don't tweet it. Uh, something profanity has been, been something that's been <clears throat> kind of a hot topic in my head, at least, uh, in that regard. And I think generally I speak like a pirate in real life, which probably <laughs> isn't the best, the best thing ever. So I've been trying to tone it back anyway, but, uh, even something like that, I, I it, it has affected how I approach that, but it's really probably for the best because it's like, okay, does, does, does adding fucking to this sentence actually make it better yes. or funnier or whatever it's intended to be? Most of the time it doesn't. And if it does like let it rip, it's probably uh, it's probably not going to have a, a negative impact. And I think at the end of the day to what you're saying is like, my hope is that being a part of this company and being on the internet, being a real person uh, ultimately has a, a net positive um, for investors and for the market. And, uh, it, that remains to be seen, but that's, that's my hope anyway. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I'm the, I'm the same with swearing, especially online. I very rarely tweet swear words. I will occasionally say them on my podcast, but it isn't every other word. I will use them for emphasis to make a point when I'm angry, like I just did. Right. Um, but I, I won't go over the top with them. The, I, I don't have the pressure of shareholders, but in, in some sense I do because I am the shareholder. So any, anything, sure. anything I, I do ultimately affects the business and the other, the other guys in the business too. But the way I always try and think about it, and, and the thing that I've always tried to do is, in fact, it was something that Ed Latimer said on one of the other podcasts I did recently with him, was doing this old-fashioned thing of, only saying things online that you'd say to somebody else in person. And, and, and I know it's like this really old, old school Victorian attitude now to um, mm -hmm. be polite to people and, uh, it, and only say things that you, you'd say to them if you saw them in, in, in real life. But that's the way I try, I try and treat it. It's exactly the same way with a, with a shareholder thing. Really, it's just remembering that y you are accountable for what you say. To be honest, more people could do with that, not remembering yeah. that they're accountable. I, yeah, absolutely. And I, I've tried to look at it that way and I think it's productive for everybody. It's like, if I'm, if I'm not going to say it here, when would I say it? And, and, and should I be saying it? Um, uh, or what's the version of it that, that I should. It's been the, the whole experience of writing and, and putting myself on the internet has been a, a really interesting experiment and I've loved it. It's been super productive. Mm. Um, still a bit like both like the offline effects of it. Um, yeah, it's been great. So what's next for it then? Have you got any big plans? Are you kind of going to do a, a Gary V walk around every day, uh, daily land force type? Thing? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of trying to figure that out. You know, right now I'm just trying to, uh, I'm trying to get a decent workflow for doing longer form stuff twice a week is like my current goal. So like a thread twice a week. Okay. Um, and then I've also got a podcast uh, with two other people very, very soon. I mean, really that's, that's why I've got this, this new mic here is cause I wanted to, to get right for that. So I'm, I'm excited to do long form audio and, and kind of bring that into the mix. Um, it's a different format than I think a lot of podcasts. Um, so I'm excited about that. I also really want to do spaces. Mm. Um, I think I've, what I've got going on with spaces is kind of the, uh, is overthinking it and thinking that if I'm going to get up there and do that, I need to know exactly what's going on, which even though, uh, you know, we've proved that to be false. Um, I think that's, that's definitely getting the way. I think what clubhouse did is really cool. And I'm super excited that I can do that on Twitter without having to like go do this other platform. Um, so 
Yeah. The, the first step though, is just consistency around the, the one thing I'm starting with. Yeah. I, I, I know you've got to get off in a few minutes, but I, I do think, I think podcast is a good bet. I'm, I'm betting, betting big on podcasting. I've been yep. doing it a lot over this last year. And I think I, I get so many messages now when I, when I say, have you started a podcast yet? Oh, it's too late. Oh, everybody's already doing them. So it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning yeah. because yeah. people want, in my experience, want to consume long form conversations interests people we've all been locked at home for some kind of portion for the last year in this worldwide global weird world we live in we like to connect <laughs> to people uh i i think they're only going to grow and grow and grow and grow so i think it's a good bet yeah i i agree and you know in terms of it's too late uh i had the same thought about doing twitter you know probably this time last year when i wanted to uh, it's never too late for anything I think if you've got something interesting to say, like what you've got, you've got something interesting to say, you, you've got an opinion, you're a cool guy, there's always a market for interesting people. The problem is right. when people jump online and they're not that interesting, they don't do anything interesting and they don't make themselves interesting, they're the people who should never have done it in the first place. Right, uh, right. Unfortunately, Twitter's a little bit too full of some people like that, but <laughs> there you go. Part, part of the ecosystem. It's all got to exist, right? Yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm gonna let you go. That has this has been very fun, Colin. You got any final words or anything you want to say? Oh man, builders build. Follow me on Twitter at Land Force, <laughs> just like it sounds like Air Force, but land. That's 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 all. It's an awesome name, by the way. I wish I was called Land Force. <laughs> hey, thank you, thank you. It's a weird one. I think uh, with the the family story is that it's an L- Ellis Island uh, immigration office product but i'm not sure where it actually came from (laughs) awesome cheers man it's been awesome thanks it's been a pleasure